I walked into the mayor's office one day and I said, I want to be your COO. And if you appoint me and give me the opportunity, I will make sure you never regret it. Wow. His response? He leaned back and he said, okay. It was me putting more skin in the game. Yes. It was me showing that I had the ambition and the fire in my belly. And thirdly, it was helping him de-risk whatever risk he might be taking in appointing me, right? Yeah. I'm not just going to do the job well. I'm going to go the extra distance. Know this, wherever you are on your personal and professional leadership journey, you can take your game to the next level. Welcome to Training Camp for Leaders with Archie L. Jones Jr., the podcast that will help you dream bigger and pursue your goals more confidently. Welcome back, leaders. Today, we're talking to Duria Faruqi, an independent board director at the Intercontinental Hotel Group, New York Stock Exchange, and Intercontinental Exchange. But before that, she was the chief operating officer for the city of Atlanta. Quite a leap, right? Duria's uncommon career path means she's got tons of insightful advice and wisdom to share. I can't wait for you to hear it. We'll talk about striving for excellence, building valuable relationships, and being the kind of leader that inspires confidence. As always, I'll give you my three key takeaways at the end of the interview. Quick note, Duria was a guest at our Next Gen Coach Network Governance Training Camp just a few days before this interview. Again, if you want to learn more about that, please visit our website. Let's go. Hey, Doria. Hey, Archie. How are you doing, my friend? <laughs> I'm doing great. Long time no see. Exactly. Long time no see. <laughs> I don't usually get the opportunity to see you end of one week, beginning of the next week. So treat for me. I mean, listen, if you invite me twice, you'll see me twice. <laughs> Does that work for thrice? I'm going to push my luck here. <laughs> There's no harm in <laughs> uh, We got to enjoy a masterclass on your journey in governance last week for our governance training camp. Uh, so appreciate you doing that and dropping those gems of wisdom. I mean, that was fantastic. Oh, that was a pleasure, Archie. That was a real pleasure. Yeah, yeah really. The great group that you had put together. Obviously, you'd set up the conversation really well. And, you know, a lot of times when people are on a journey to leadership, uh, different stages require different things. And to curate a group and a conversation, which is specific to the stage that um, people who are ready for the next board are in, was uh, a treat to be a part of. Well, now we're going to get you talking to our leaders and listeners who we might not get in the same room with uh, as a part of our podcast. So appreciate you being here. Give me a lesson in leadership from your parents. I grew up in Karachi, Pakistan. You know, when uh, I was growing up, my dad used to say something which really stuck with me. And it's only later in life I realized uh, how much that is um, 
a part of uh, how I view success. And uh, he said, uh, you know, you can be a bus driver, you can be a teacher, you can be a doctor, you can be an engineer, you can be a bricklayer. But no matter what you do, you have to be the best at it. Mm. Because there is no room in this world for mediocrity. Wow. That has stayed with me. And uh, it's, I think, part of the reason why I'm competitive. It's part of the reason I'm hard on myself. It's part of the reason why I like winning. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's a big reason why I appreciate people who can carry the ball across the finish line, who strive, who uh, really have a desire to be excellent. And uh, excellence is something that you see in the way they um, move through the world, you know, uh, professionally and otherwise. So that's, that is a, that is a, uh, leadership lesson, which I didn't understand at the time to be a leadership lesson because really it was a motivating life lesson. But, uh, anything that I've been able to have or enjoy or drive any success in is because it started with that desire to, uh, really bring excellence to the table do the best that you can and the rest follows you uh you took an uncommon route uh to the boardroom we'll get to some of that but i want to hear about the harvard kennedy school where did you think you were heading when you when you enrolled there and what did you think that journey was going to look like happy to talk about that it's interesting uh i graduated with a bachelor's in economics and math i really had a passion uh to do work that was focused on the economies of emerging markets and poor countries. Uh, I came from one and it was my sort of way of uh, both giving back, but also um, wanting to grow professionally and feed a passion, which was, I mean, I you know, love economics, math, thinking about, um, you know, international markets, but more importantly, how you lift people out of poverty. And um, I used to read The Economist, which um, <laughs> I still subscribe to. And there was an ad in The Economist which, said, which talked about a new program that Harvard was launching at the Kennedy School. And it was focused on international development and it was interdisciplinary. Um, it was going to be rigorous, but at the same time, very applied. And... Um, that was it. You know, I, I, it was in December. I was, I was reading that and uh, I saw this ad. I applied to just that program, nowhere else. And, uh, you know, I got in, I was lucky enough to be able to go. And, um, it, it took, it took some doing because, um, I, I had a merit fellowship, but, uh, it wasn't a hundred percent. So it, it still took some took some uh, doing to make it work, but... Uh, some sacrifice, some investment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right. COO, City of Atlanta. How the hell did you get that job? <laughs> <laughs> did you, was that in The Economist as well? Was that a posting in The Economist as well? No, no, no. No, it wasn't. It was it was trial by fire. It was it was basically being in the trench is how I got that job. It was it was a it was a battlefield promotion. Um, after like some time doing research in international development and policy, I worked at the World Bank and 
Center for Global Development, did a lot of consulting and research, and uh, eventually moved to Atlanta because of my husband's career and had uh, coffee with a fellow alum who said, why don't you come work at the city? And I said, I don't know anything about local government. <laughs> you know, it's a substance over form can, can, uh, you, you can, you can kick yourself with that too, right? So I said, I don't know anything about city government. And he said, you have an MPA from the Kennedy School of Government. I think you're going to be fine. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, so I, I, he, he said, look, you have the tools. And, you know, it, the, the, the flip side of taking risks is, uh, when you have constraints, right? You have to think about, uh, what is possible in those constraints. And at the time, I had two young children. So for uh, the women and parents listening out there, uh, I had an infant and a toddler, and staying in international policy meant, you know, um, traveling to Africa for, you know, two weeks or going to Asia or Latin America. And, you know, my personal life didn't really have room for that at the time. Um, so I... Uh, Switched over and I said, okay, I'm going to go work in city government. I'm going to learn something new. I said yes often. There we go. As you can, as you can tell. By saying yes a lot, Duria worked her way up in city government, managed a host of big projects, and delivered outstanding results. But that COO position didn't just land on her lap. I will share one thing. It was a leadership lesson that came from a friend. I had uh, someone who I worked with pretty closely in uh, city government. And um, I told her, you know, I want to be the CEO. And if I'm the right person for the job, I'm going to get it. And she said, no, you have to ask for it. Mm. I said, well, you know, I, I, if, if I'm the right person, you know, the mayor knows what I'm capable of. I've proven myself. You know, you can, when you bought into a meritocracy and overbought him, you think that's enough. And uh, she said, no, I think it's important to tell him that you want it. So um, I walked into the mayor's office one day and I said, I want to be your COO. And if you appoint me and give me the opportunity, I will make sure you never regret it. Wow. His response? He leaned back and he said, okay. It was me putting more skin in the game. Yes. It was me showing that I had the ambition and the fire in my belly, right? And thirdly, it was helping him de-risk whatever risk he might be taking in appointing me, right? Yeah. I'm not just going to do the job well. I'm going to go the extra distance to try and make sure. I mean, I started not try. I said, I'm going to make sure you never regret, you know? I think that that ended up being true. I think you did two things in there that I heard. One was you were already performing at a high level. So he got to see the living uh, resume, so to speak, in the work that you were already doing. The work that before you talked to your friend, you thought was going to gonna be enough. Yeah. But I think you did the, the other thing that we talk often about. And I'm, I continue to try to get my leaders and listeners to think about is one of our C's communication, asking for the order. Yes. You've got to actually ask for the order in most cases that it doesn't come to you as much as we want to believe a meritocracy exists. And I think it does exist in a lot of organizations. I agree. I think the tipping point is often making it extremely or abundantly clear what you want and asking for the order. 
Because honestly, Archie, leadership is not just about can you do the technical aspects of the job, right? We know that. And leadership is about also how do you bring people along? How do you inspire, motivate, get followership? Um, how do you navigate in uncertain times and create the amount of certainty that's going to help people stay in the boat, right? And if you don't have confidence to say that you are the right person for the job, you're ready for the job, even if you are capable and can do the job, it, it doesn't, it doesn't put that extra value on the table that we know is that tangible factor in leadership. You've been the only woman of color in a lot of rooms for a long time, leveraging and bringing yourself in your full culture, one of our other C's to bear. How do you get comfortable being you in an environment where no one else in the room looks like you? I think I am so conditioned to making other people feel comfortable Mm. that I eventually got comfortable. It's maybe the cross to bear or the superpower that you have when you're an immigrant and you don't expect anything. You know that you have to sort of prove yourself. I said years ago in a conversation that uh, when someone was asking, you know, um, how do you handle being a person of color, being an immigrant and finding success? And I had said at the time, um, you know, I made the assumption that I have to be 30% better than the person next to me to get the opportunity. I'm not afraid of that. (laughs) Back to your dad saying, right? Be the best at it. If I'm the best at it, that 30% should be easy to get to. I I just needed to sort of decide for myself that that's what it is and know what that is. I think the biggest challenge is that when leaders and, um, you know, people on their leadership journey, people who are early in their professional journey, don't get the honest insight of what it takes to be successful. And oftentimes uh, they get messages like, you can be who you are. You can bring your whole self. We have an inclusive culture. Never shy away from being authentic. Uh, We're committed to diversity. We're committed to all these things. Everyone has equal opportunity. Come on now, Archie. You and I know. (laughs) You and I know that um, what it takes one person to earn the right to be in a room and to have a seat at the table can be very different from what it takes for another person. Yes. I think you have to stay focused on what it takes for you to earn the right to be in the room right. and to have a seat at the table. Because once you get your seat at the table, then you have some capital and power to keep your seat at the table. That's right. So I think one thing I would say is always anchoring on what can you contribute? What value do you bring? What expertise, skill set, knowledge, capabilities, network, relationships, what value do you bring? And always introduce yourself with that center, Mm. right? There is, there is a whole lot that goes into who we are as leaders, where we come from, the journey we have traveled, uh, what it t- took to got, get here. Um, and, you know, a lot of experiences we've had that may not have been in an office setting or in a corporate or professional setting. But getting into rooms where you're kind of breaking barriers, you are 
uh, paving the way, you're the first or the second or the third. You're creating that critical momentum. It is incumbent on you and all of us, right? For there to be no confusion about the value you bring. So I, I think starting with that, I encourage everyone to stay anchored on that. And I think if, if you get accepted for the value that you bring, you can bring a whole lot else into the room that is about who you are. Yes. Right. And that educates people about uh, not making assumptions about things and uh, you role model, you know, a very different persona of what their stereotype might have been about either, you know, an ethnic group or a racial group or women who have small children or, I mean, you name it, right? <laughs> right. You want to have capital first so that um, it is it is not diluted. Agreed. And sadly, we still live in a world where, you know, that is often the case. So, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm a woman. I don't leave but talking about my children because there's an assumption that, oh, okay, she has small children. What, what do I think about the time and the commitment and the horsepower and drive that she might have? Right. But in the second conversation, yeah, I'm going to ask about your kids. I'm going to talk about my kids. <laughs> For sure. We're going to have a social conversation, right? Right. The only other thing I will add is that once you've been in a setting or in a context long enough, how do you create the circumstances, the opportunity, and the sustainable pathway for it to be not as hard for everyone who follows you, right? Yes. For, for that mental track to not have to play. And it's one of the reasons why, as a board director, I'm passionate about uh, paving that opportunity, supporting other women, people of color, underrepresented minorities and groups from having the access, the insight, and the exposure to be considered for public company and corporate boards. So that's that. I mean, I didn't do that in year one, but now that I can, um, it's, it's the way I want to give back and continue to expand the impact because that is also a responsibility that uh, we have. Without a doubt, leveraging that role to to create opportunity for uh, for other folks is a critical part of that journey. You've been touching on another one of our C's connection. You've been invited into a lot of rooms and and invited into a lot of opportunities slash challenges. How do you think about managing and developing and cultivating relationships? Archie, you know, I wish I had gotten that memo 15 years ago. I, I really do. <laughs> I think that, number one, relationships are really key. And, and they're more important than we, we talk about. Um, they obviously don't supplant the need to have credibility and be a proven leader, obviously. But relationships open the door to many different opportunities, right? That you otherwise may not have. It's that, I mean, even when I think about my journey, it was someone who reached back out to me and said, hey, would you do this? If I didn't have a relationship, they wouldn't have picked up the phone and called me. I mean, there's no, it is rare for me to have done a job I've applied for. It is much more the norm that, uh, the next opportunity has found me and it's found me through people who were sponsors, supporters, or happened to see me in action, right? Yes. 
I, I think relationships are critical. And let me give an example. Uh, when I was chief operating officer, I mean, and you know, we, we've talked quite a bit about that. I ended up after being COO, I uh, went to Bain and Company. Then I had, um, you know, I led the Atlantic Committee for Progress, which had uh, multiple CEOs on it. And then I also had a stint at uh, Georgia Pacific as a president over supply chain innovation. So I, I had the sort of corporate career after, but this will, this will, <laughs> this will tell you, uh, why relationships in some ways mattered more than the nuances of my resume. Mm. When I was interim COO, I, um, presented at a, uh, Buckhead Coalition meeting and Jeff Sprecher, who is the founder and CEO of ICE, um, at the time, did not own the New York Stock Exchange. And, you know, I'm ashamed to say I didn't know, even know who he was. This was, <laughs> you know, this was, uh, 2011, I guess, uh, or about that time. And, uh, I ran into him at, uh, at a event after he introduced himself. And I mean, I'm always struck by the humility of that gesture. Um, and, uh, said, you know, I, I was at this meeting uh, that you presented at, and I'd like to get to know you. So I said, okay. And I stayed in touch. And one fine day, I got a phone call from him asking if I would consider joining his board. My point is that that, that began years ago, right? And it was anchored in a context where he sort of saw some sense of the kind of leader I am or how I would, um, you know, curate or lead a conversation and what impact, uh, I'm focused on, but it, it, it was the seed of a relationship that led to my first board role, um, you know, the year I turned 40. So I was, I was very young when I got that opportunity as well. And it was because I, um, cultivated and maintained a relationship I had no idea where it was going to lead. And most times, those are the relationships that end up converting, where you're not bringing an agenda to the table. Yes. We're actually genuinely interested in the impact this other person is trying to make in whatever domain they are and uh, learning along the way. And those relationships always pay off, which is why I, the other thing I talk about is sponsors versus mentors. You know, that's, that's an important distinction. Give us that distinction while you're on that, uh, the, that distinction between sponsors and mentors, because we, we, we conflate the two often. Yeah, we do conflate the two often. I think, I think, uh, mentors are people who, uh, will give you advice, who will, um, go for coffee with you, who are supporters, who want you to succeed. And they do so, but most of the time it doesn't cost them anything. Right. And, Sponsors are people who have bought equity in you and who are actually invested in your long-term success in a way that they have skin in the game. A sponsor is someone who is going to pick up the phone and ask someone to give you a chance and put their own relationship, expand their own capital. There it is. That distinction is huge because if someone is picking up the phone and saying, give this person a shot, if someone is saying, um, you know, I can vouch for this leader, if someone is 
asking someone else to take a risk or taking a risk themselves, they are putting their own capital on the line for you because they have some equity in your career, you know, some long-term equity. Recognizing people in your life that volunteer to be or agree to be or end up being your sponsors, value them, treasure them, appreciate them, and don't ever let them down because it has an impact on them, right? In a material way. Real connections, folks who are investing in you uh, and you're investing in them or you feel invested in and you want to make sure they get a return on that investment of their social and other capital in you. Agreed. You got that, leaders? Your relationships are crucial to your success. Make sure some of them include sponsors who are actually invested in your career. That's how Duria transitioned into the boardroom. But it still wasn't easy. You see, despite her impressive track record in city government, she still wasn't immune to something we've heard about a lot on this show. Imposter syndrome. I had not thought about uh, serving on a public company board any time in the near term in my career. And, and I've said this before, if I had planned out my life uh, professionally in terms of the different moves I would make in my career to reach kind of my ultimate um, goals and success, I say this often, I would have been limited by my imagination. Mm. You know? Yeah. I really would have. Because it's the unexpected opportunities that come your way. Leaning into those has led to non-linear leaps in my life, you know. And it's, it, it, is, it is not the opportunities I pursued. It's the ones that were unexpected that came my way that have led to the most exponential leaps or they've been the accelerators in my career journey. And when uh, I got the call around, um, you know, joining my first board, we essentially said, look, we're, we're doing a refresh and we are looking to add uh, diversity on the board at the same time. And there's shareholder support from the top shareholders to consider women who have uh, led a large nonprofit. And I said, well, you know, I am very flattered to be to be considered and the reach out, you know, I find your company very interesting, the industry fascinating, but I uh, am not from a financial services background. I've not spent a lot of time, um, you know, leading a company or uh, in a corporate role in my career. And I'm not sure I'm qualified to be on your board. Wow. Offered you the opportunity and you tried to tried to talk your way out of it almost. Well, because, you know, I, I think that um, when you build relationships, your character does matter. Yeah. And and I was being uh, earnest. It was a combination of imposter syndrome as well as making sure that the value I could bring and the value I felt I couldn't bring was clear. Right. Right. And and um, it's 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 funny because women and people of color do this all the time, which is to underrepresent. And there's so much research and data that shows 
uh, when women and men apply for a job, uh, you know, women will be overqualified and say they're not qualified and men will be underqualified and say they're overqualified. So that, that is a common thing, but uh, it was, it was both things. It was both a combination of sort of underselling myself, but also wanting to make sure that, uh, you know, there's no misrepresentation that, that we are, we are, um, you know, there's transparency. So I, uh, I obviously shot myself in the foot, but thankfully, um, because uh, I was talking to someone who was a mentor and as became clear a sponsor, right? Yes. I was prevented from, from shooting myself permanently. So I said, you know, I'm not sure I'm qualified to be on your board. And he said, uh, you have run a city with a, um, uh, you know, with, with, <laughs> with a $2 billion budget. You've, um, advise fortune 500 clients as a uh, um, as a Bain consultant and now you are leading an organization with 40 CEOs on it I'm pretty sure you're qualified I love that and when I told you the story Archie I, I said those things are all true but I would have never strung them together like that to present who I am what I've accomplished and what I can offer never Take note, if you're the only one who thinks you're not qualified for a job, that probably means you're wrong. So be confident in your abilities and make sure you spend some time thinking about how you present them. It's not just about knowing what you're good at. It's also about recognizing your weaknesses. I think those small wins helps to build that confidence over time. Um, as you said, it took, it wasn't on day one that you exhibited all of these things in those roles. It was over time as, as you delivered, uh, and that delivery was recognized, uh, that it built your confidence and probably built the confidence and comfort of folks around you as well, at least from a, a delivery of excellence standpoint. That's absolutely right. And sometimes you have to hear tough feedback, you know? Um, and absorb it and adjust. <laughs> a mayor I work for said, um, uh, basically the feedback I was given was I need to work on my soft skills. Okay. okay. And the way that feedback was delivered to me was you have the political skills of an amoeba. Wow. <laughs> you cannot get more direct than that, Archie. But you know what? I, I, uh, uh, this was, this was like 14 years ago or 15 years ago. Anyway, I, 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 I mean, it made me laugh, but it also was like a joke because it was coming from someone who was not a softy. Let's just say that. Clearly. Yeah. And, um, it made me realize that knowing yourself is important, right? I tend to have, let's get things done mode and I have social mode. It's very hard for me to mingle the two things and it took deliberate practice for me to do that but uh, i started doing that then you know i would write an email and say okay let me add like some sentences at the beginning i mean is this too just down to the business you know and then you're in the south right that's part of it i didn't grow up here and um learning sort of the culture of how to be an effective communicator people manager and motivator um you know it, it took intentionality so I think people should people should assume that just because they don't have all elements right instinctively that they can't get them right number 1 and number 2 
If you run away from feedback, it's hard to hear at times, but if you run away from feedback and don't respond to it, your growth as a leader is going to be limited. It'll stunt your growth without a doubt. Yeah. You coach, as you said, coach and help develop Fortune 500 CEOs and executives. I've got five C's that I use around what I call leadership capital, capability, culture, communication, connection, confidence. Any examples or any regular themes that come up with senior executives from these uh, from these large companies that, that uh, you can impart on our listeners and leaders? I would say that if I anchor on confidence, I think leaders are struggling with inspiring confidence, not just having confidence. Mm. And it's inspiring confidence in their customers, in their investors, in their leadership teams, and um, in the culture across the company, right? Because at the end of the day, engagement is basically the oil in the machine, right? If your employees are engaged, you've got them activated to do what needs to happen. If you have customer loyalty, it's, you know, they're engaged. They're there with you on the journey. And and if you've got sort of long-term investors that are continuing to demand, um, you know, a stake in your company, then you've got their engagement. So I, I, I think that the biggest challenge I'm seeing right now is the ability for leaders to inspire confidence, to engender confidence when um, there's disruption, uh, there's uncertainty. We are living in times of global conflicts and for global companies, that is particularly harder. And, um, you know, your workforce is still coming out of COVID with, you know, some PTSD and and a lot of employees are unsure about whether they want to be in the office or not. Um, how does a company maintain and preserve culture? I think maintaining and driving and preserving culture and building it in a hybrid world is going to be a pretty big challenge. I mean, I, I say this to executives I, I work with who aren't CEOs that, you know, you're going to be voted into your next job right? Mm. Because your peers have to want to work for you, right? Your relationships across your peers become very important. Critical. As you become a leader in the C-suite and a key factor, right, is do you inspire confidence as a leader? Okay. Time for my three key takeaways from my interview with Duria. Number one, Don't be afraid to say yes to an opportunity just because it wasn't planned or because you feel unqualified. Number two, invest in your relationships and then use them effectively. Mentors can provide advice and inspiration, but sponsors are the ones who are truly invested in you and your career. And number three, being capable and confident isn't enough. You also need to inspire capability and confidence in your co-workers, superiors, and clients. One way to do that, ask for the order and then deliver results.
As we wrap up today's episode, I want to take a moment to wish you a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. Before you go, make sure to hit that subscribe button. We have an exciting episode coming up with none other than Kevin O'Leary. That's right, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. Subscribe to get notification when that comes out. In the meantime, I want to thank you all for joining me this year. If you are a leader or aspiring to be one, visit ArchieLJonesJr.com. There you can pre-order my book, The Treasure You Seek, a guide to developing and leveraging your leadership capital and connect directly with me. If you want to learn more about NextGen Coach Network Governance Training Camp and the work we do, visit our website at nextgencoachnetwork.com. That's spelled N-X-G-E-N coachnetwork.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'll catch you all in the next episode. Training Camp for Leaders with Archie L. Jones Jr. is produced by Next Gen Coach Network and Human Group Media.